faithfulness to keep his promises. And Caleb's response of belief here glorifies God because it draws attention to that faithfulness and the faithfulness of God's word. And sometimes we use the words faith and belief interchangeably, and that's okay. But as we study Caleb's faith, I think it's helpful to acknowledge that there is a difference between faith and belief. Belief really is the starting place of faith. Hebrews 11 verse 6 explains that without faith it is impossible to please God for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. You see what the author of Hebrews does there? He says that faith starts by believing things about God, things which God has revealed to us through his word. Now, that's played out for us in detail in the life of, jo- of, of Caleb, who believed what God had said about the promised land and then acted on that belief. Caleb knew how difficult it would be for a nation that had grown up under the thumb of the Egyptians to overthrow these powerful nations of people who were bigger and badder than them. He also knew the promises of God, and he trusted that God was able to do everything that he said. And so 45 years later, he has this conversation with Joshua, showing that he still, that he still had a hold of his, his belief this, in the faithfulness of God's word. And the reason that I think it's helpful for us to see that belief is really the starting place of faith is because it adds clarity to the way that we talk about the gospel. The message of the gospel is the good news of what God has done through Christ to save sinners from their sins and to reconcile us to him. Faith in Christ starts at the point of believing what God says, that he has purchased forgiveness for us that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, not as a matter of their works, but as a matter of His grace and His work for us. Faith comes by hearing, Paul explains in Romans 10, verse 17, and hearing through the word of Christ. This distinction between belief and faith keeps us from treating faith as a work by which we somehow earn our salvation. It preserves the integrity of the gospel of grace. How we are saved by God's grace through faith in Christ. And that this is not of ourselves, but that it is the very gift that God gives. It keeps us from thinking that we uh, can somehow earn favor before God. Or that we must earn favor before, before God before we can receive the merit of Christ. Instead, it beckons us to the pure gospel. The belief that God is faithful that he keeps his promises, and that his word is sure. Now, the second component of Caleb's faith that we need to see in this chapter is his response of obedience. What we learn from Caleb is that faith begins by believing God, but faith also acts. It obeys. While it's important to see that belief is the starting place of faith, it's equally important that we do not reduce faith down to merely believing that something is true. James explains to us in James chapter 2, verse 19, that you can believe true things about God without actually submitting to him in saving faith. It's been famously said that Satan is a better theologian than us all and yet remains a devil's steel still. Thus, we are warned by James that faith without works is dead. And so if faith was a building, it would have two pillars supporting it, belief and obedience. 
true faith in Christ shows itself in that it is eager to obey him, that it is eager to act on what we believe is true. Astonishingly, we find obedience represented here in, this, in Joshua 14, not only in the faith of Caleb, but also in what is spoken about the faith of the collective nation of Israel. Look with me at verses 1 through 5. As the focus of our, of our author shifts from the land on the east side of the Jordan River to the allotments that are made to these nine and a half tribes on the west side of the river, our author is very careful to highlight how all of this was done in obedience to what God had commanded. In verse 2, we read how the inheritance of the tribes was distributed by lot, which means that they didn't haggle over the spaces that they wanted. This is not the Oklahoma Sooners running out ahead of time and planting the flags where they want. No, they received what was given to them according to the method which God had appointed. Again, we are told that the Levites did not receive any territory for themselves, since their portion was God, though they did receive certain cities with their pasture lands in which to live. And then verse 5 sums all of this up by saying, The people of Israel did as the Lord commanded Moses. They allotted the land. Now, let's... Let's just take a moment to take this in for a second. When you have one of those golden days, it's good to just stop and take it in. And I feel like this is one of those moments in the Bible. If you know anything about the history of the nation of Israel, then you know that this was a rare moment in their life as a nation. It's a moment worth celebrating. Since even though we know that in the future there are going to be many times when they did not obey God, here they did. They received God's word, and in faith, they acted in obedience. This theme of obedience is, is only further emphasized in what's recorded for us here about Caleb. We know that Caleb believed God because of the way he acted in obedience to God's word. It's something that we see reflected in three different times in Caleb's own life. First, we see his obedience in how he handled himself at Kadesh Barnea. Moses had sent 12, tribe, 12 spies, each from a different tribe, into the land of Canaan. And all of these spies came back saying that the land truly was good. But only two of those spies, Joshua and Caleb, believed God's promise that he would give them that land. I love the way Caleb speaks here. He says, Moses sent me to spy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in my heart. While my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt, yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. What was in Caleb's heart? A faith in the promise of God that he would, that he would bless those who follow him. It was a faith in God's promises and a faith in God's faithfulness that made Caleb willing to cling to what he had said and to act on those promises, to follow God even when it meant risking his own life. Because in the panic of the nation, Numbers tells us that Caleb and Joshua were almost put to death. Caleb brought a word to Moses as it was in his heart. Yes, the people there are great. Yes, they are powerful. But who are they compared to our God? Let's go. That was the word that was in Caleb's heart. And he acted on it. And he urged others to do it as well. The second place we see uh, Caleb's example of obedience comes during the time of the people as they wandered in the, in the wilderness. That, that generation who was, God did not allow to enter the land. So for 40 years, Caleb wandered in the wilderness 
amongst the people who wanted to put him to death because he said, let's go in. Forty years he spent in that camp until everyone from his generation had passed away. Forty years he waited for God's promise to give him an inheritance in the land, for that promise to come true. It takes real faith to do that, real belief that God keeps his promises. Caleb's faith showed itself in that it lasted in long-term obedience. Now the third way we see Caleb's obedience of faith comes in how he, he himself comes to Joshua to request this inheritance be given to him. It's been 45 years since Caleb and Joshua stood together with ripped up garments because of the way that the rest of the nation had decided that it would be better for them to return to slavery in Egypt than than to face the giants of the Anakim. Caleb and Joshua were the only ones from their generation who had seen this whole thing through from the way that God had rescued the people of Israel from Egypt and from now how he had brought Israel into its inheritance. Now, Caleb, to our surprise maybe, maybe not to our surprise, doesn't use, doesn't try to use or leverage his friendship with Joshua to get a good place in the land. No, he actually comes to Joshua with the word which he himself had heard from God through Moses and says, let me receive what God has appointed for me. For 45 years, Caleb had hoped in a promise. Now the time had come for him to take action, to receive what had been set apart for him. And so in faith, He comes to Joshua here at Gilgal to receive that blessing. Faith is a response to God's word that believes what God has said and acts accordingly. Faith holds on to what God has said and it puts that belief into action. That's why James says that faith without works is dead. Faith naturally produces active obedience in the lives of God's people. And Caleb models both of those aspects of faith for us here in Joshua 14. As we think about what it means to have faith in Christ, Christians talk a lot about trusting Jesus and trusting in Christ. As we think about what that actually means, we need to understand that we we cannot afford to think that mere belief that the gospel is true is sufficient enough for us to just call ourselves Jesus' disciples. Jesus tells us that if we love him, then we will keep his commands. And the Apostle John likewise tells us that by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. For whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So belief and obedience are both essential components of true faith. Faith is not a feeling. It is the trust that God's word is true, which then leads us into action. Caleb obeyed God because he believed God, and God was pleased to reward Caleb's faith as a measure of his grace, of his mercy, and his love, just as he rewards all who follow him. Now, so far, everything we've seen so far about Caleb's faith isn't necessarily all that extraordinary. I mean, this is what faith is supposed to be. It's only radical in the sense that Caleb really understood what that looked like and that he put that into action. Caleb is an example to us all of what our faith should look like. But there is something that does stand out about Caleb's faith, which brings us to our third point this morning. 
Um, the thing that stands out about Caleb's faith, which is worthy of our attention, is the strength and the energy and the commitment of Caleb's faith, even into old age. So we learn here from Caleb III that faith commits. Faith commits. Look with me at verse 10. And now, behold, Caleb says, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said, these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses, while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now, behold, I am this day 85 years old. I am still as strong today as I was in the day when Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then, for war and for going and for coming. So now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. There are at least three things that, I, that Caleb says to Joshua here that I want to bring to your attention. Uh, three things which teach us about the extraordinary commitment of Caleb's faith. The first thing that sticks out here about Caleb's commitment is got to be his age. At this point, Caleb was 85 years old. In the 45 years after God had spoken through Moses to Caleb about this land that was set apart for him, Caleb's faith and the word of the Lord had not wavered. For 40 years, Caleb had walked in the wilderness with a nation of stubborn people. For five years, it seems, Caleb had fought alongside Joshua and the next generation of Israel in the land of Canaan. And in all that time, Caleb did not lose his faith. His faith, it seems, only gained more energy to act on the promises of God. Now, the second thing that sticks out about Caleb's commitment is his strength. He comes to Joshua, informing him that not only had God kept him alive these many years, uh, as the rest of the generation who refused to go in the land fell in the wilderness, but that God had sustained his strength. He tells Joshua, I am as still as strong today as I was in the day when Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then for war and for going and coming. Now, I've met a lot of very capable 80-year-olds, but I have never in all my life met one that said they were as capable in their old age as they were in their 40s. And it seems here that God blessed Caleb with a unique strength to carry on. Normally when armies recruit elderly men to go into battle, it's a measure of last resort, but not so for Caleb. He had a unique strength that he credits God with here. And in faith, he used the gift of that strength to commit himself to obeying God's commands. Caleb knew there's work to be done. And so by faith, Caleb was resolved to do it. What an important lesson for you and for me. Caleb teaches us that age is never an inhibitor to obedience. Age is never an excuse not to obey God. Whether you are eight or whether you are 80, God has a use for you. Every breath in your body is a gift for you to use and to leverage for the sake of faith. Every talent, every experience, every ounce of energy is a gift. Don't waste it. Don't fall into the temptation to make excuses, to say, ah, my body just isn't up to it. I can't obey today. Commit, like Caleb, to use the strength that God has given you to live with valor and courageous industry for the kingdom of Christ. Now, the third feature which stands out about Caleb's commitment is what he asks for. Look at the progression of what Caleb says to Joshua. Joshua, you heard the word that God spoke to Moses about me. Look at how he has kept his word up till now. 
Behold, how he has given me strength even today. So now give me this hill country. Give me the land of that strong people. The place where the Anakim live with its fortified cities and its giants. Give me the hard land. Give me the hard task. God is faithful. I will go. Man, I love Caleb. Joshua loved him too. Verse 13 says that when Joshua heard these words from his only real peer, from his aged brother in arms, he blessed him and he gave him the inheritance of Hebron. The place formerly known, we are told, was Kiriath Arba, which was named after the greatest man of the Anakim. Caleb could have asked for an inheritance in a part of Canaan that was lush and easy, some place that had already been taken there in the safe center of the nation. After all, he was 85 years old. He could have had the pick of the litter, but he didn't. He asked for the hard places. He asked for the hills. He asked to go where the cities were well fortified, to the places when his fellow, where his his fellow spies, when they told the nation about them, they refused to go out of fear. Things have come full circle for Caleb, haven't they? He and Joshua told the people that though the nations in this land were indeed great, they were no match for God. And now, here is Caleb getting ready to receive that very place. And he's being, he's being granted it by God to be his inheritance, his inheritance and the inheritance of his children. Caleb clung to the promise God made him. He experienced God's faithfulness throughout his life. And here he's putting all of those experiences together, asking that God's word be fulfilled for him, knowing that it's going to be hard, but knowing that God was able to bring about what he had promised. The thought of an 85-year-old man leading a charge against the giants of southern Canaan is a striking thing to think about. But this is, as one commentator says, what faith does. This is the way faith looks at things. Faith is always looking into the past, seeing God's goodness there, dragging it into the presence, the present, pondering it, praising for it, and so going on from strength to strength. The perspective faith takes in God's goodness responds in gratitude and finds grace for God's next call. I think that's well said. What Caleb, what gave Caleb such an extraordinary commitment to God and his promises, it was his faith in the extraordinary power and the faithfulness of a God who he could trust in. Which brings us to our last point this morning. We see that faith, we see from Caleb's own faith that faith trusts. Final feature of Caleb's faith that we need to look at this morning is the way he trusted God for the outcome of what he was about to do. Let us understand that Caleb put no stock in his own faith as the reason for why he was to be successful as he acted on God's promises and went to war in Hebron. His hope, his confidence was solely in the Lord and he was content to rest in God, acting on God's word, come what may. Caleb knew what God had told Moses about him. To this point, Caleb had always experienced God faithfully caring for him, giving him confidence that he was in fact going to get that promise. But Caleb also knew his place. He came to Joshua, he comes to Joshua here with a spirit of humility, asking to be given what was promised him. 
He doesn't waltz into Joshua's presence and say, Joshua, I'm going, and I know God's going to give it to me, so peace out. No, he comes to him in humility, and he asks that what has been appointed for him be granted. He cites all of God's promises, all of God's faithfulness to him, and he ends his request by saying, it may be that the Lord will be with me, and I shall drive them out, just as the Lord said. Now, it might sound to us like Caleb's faith is wavering here, but it's not. Caleb isn't struggling here to believe the faithfulness of God's promise. No, Caleb believed God. He was counting on God for the success of this mission. But Caleb was careful and wise here. He was not about to treat the promises of God to him and to the people of Israel, which he had made when he said he was going to drive out the rest of the enemies of the land. Caleb was not using those promises as a wrench to try to leverage uh, and get out of God what he wanted to get. No, he treats God's promises rightly here. Unlike some in our day who say that if we just have enough faith, then God, will ha- God has to give us what we want. This is why the prosperity gospel and the word of faith movement is so wicked. Because it treats God as a means to an end. As a means to satisfy fleshly pleasures. They forget their place, unlike Caleb who believed God's promises but did not presume to think that somehow God answered to him. Caleb's words here show the spirit of right faith, a spirit which looked expectantly at God's word and his promises, which acted with courage on those promises, and which trusted him with the result. This is the right way to treat the promises of God with humble hope that God always keeps his word. He's presented here in Joshua 14 as an example of what it means to live by faith. And he stands out above the rest of the tribes and above the rest of the people, those like Reuben and Gad and Manasseh, who we already know didn't drive out the enemy people as God told them to. True faith believes God. It obeys God, it commits to God, and it trusts God with the result. This conversation between Caleb and Joshua reminds me of the sermon by William Carey as he was meeting with pastors in Britain urging them to commit to the task of the Great Commission saying to them expect great things from God attempt great things for God as a challenge that I want to extend to you this morning those of you who are a part of Grace Baptist Church Caleb knew God's promise to give him his inheritance he experienced throughout his entire life God's faithfulness to him He clung to those promises and committed to act, trusting God with the end result. We see here in verses 14 and 15 how Caleb did in fact inherit the land and how that afterwards the land had rest from war. That's a nice way to end the chapter, isn't it? There was a day when Caleb no longer needed to wield his sword. There was a day when Caleb got to rest in his new home, in the place that God had prepared for him. God honored his word, and he honored Caleb's faith in a way that exalted his power and his glory. And we know, and we may trust, that he will most certainly honor the word that he has spoken to us, to all who have trusted in Jesus Christ for their salvation. We find ourselves like Caleb did here in chapter 14, after Israel had been brought into the land, but how it wasn't complete yet. We find ourselves in a sort of already not yet where we experience the joys of heaven 
And yet we long for the fullness of when Christ makes all things new. We know that Christ is doing that and that he will do that do that. We know that he has secured victory for us over Satan and sin and death so that we do not have to fear the grave. We know what awaits us in heaven since he has redeemed us and set us free and how he has promised that he is preparing a place for us so that where he is there we will also be. But there is still work to be done. As Grace Baptist Church there is work for us to do here in Sheboygan and abroad. We may not know the particulars of what God has in store for our future, how he plans to use us as a local embassy of the kingdom of heaven here on earth, but we do know what he has called us to do, to preach the gospel, to make disciples, to walk beside one another in the faith until a day when he comes to us or when he calls us home. Like Caleb, I do not presume to think that God must do anything through us, but I trust that he will. And I have confidence for how he plans to use us as a local church because of what he says in his word, that Satan will not prevail against his church. So let me challenge you, church. Attempt great things for God and expect great things from God. Hear the voice of Caleb shouting out from the sidelines, urging us to press on to the glory of what is to come. And may Caleb's uncommon faith be a trait that is common among us. Let's pray. Lord God, we stand in awe of you. You used a humble man like Caleb. You strengthened him in a way that only you could. You preserved him in the midst of a hard-headed, crooked generation. You brought him into the land that you had promised. You made him to inherit what you had set apart for him, and you kept him. Father, we have seen four important traits of true faith this morning. And my prayer is that each and every one of us would follow Caleb's example, that we would believe the good news of Jesus Christ, that we would, in confession of our sin, that we would trust that Jesus is a greater Savior and commit our lives to him. I pray, Father, that you would give us courage to act, courage that flows from true belief, and that as we act in obedience to you, out of a love for Christ, that we would live with commitment, that we would commit to the long haul, knowing that you are faithful. And finally, Father, I pray that you would give us faith that trusts in the perfect purposes you have, both for us as individuals and for us as a church, and then for your kingdom and the glory of Christ. Father, what a privilege it is to be part of his story. What an amazing thing it is to think that you are mindful of men and women such as we are, that we have nothing to offer, but which you have chosen to make vessels of mercy and grace in this world. Help us to press on and help us to live in the faith you provide. I pray this all in Jesus' glorious name. Amen.